I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And on the Inspired Evolution today, we have with us the evolving man, Ben Gorski. How are you, brother? Good, man. It's really good to be here. Good to see you, Amrit. Great Uh, intro. It is such a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about (laughs) We'll talk about the time difference. And uh, yeah, it's definitely morning here. And that's my morning dose of coffee for you, even though it's (laughs) it's close to the evening over there. (laughs) 
for those Thank tuning you. into Ben for the first time, he's a counselor, he's a coach, he's an explorer of consciousness, which I love. Let's have that conversation. <laughs> His work is circles around men's work. Um, he's, you know, heavily involved in addiction recovery and also helping men navigate relationships with women. So, bro, it is such a pleasure and a treat to have you here because, uh, yeah, you don't dabble in the work that's for the faint of heart, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I feel like I like to go deep with people and I like to work in the trenches sometimes and uh, just what's that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm here to do. So thanks for having me on the show and I'd love to love to dig in with you, man. Let's go. Oh man. It's such a treat to have you here. How did you, let's start there. How did you get, get into this? Like, cause yeah, like I obviously have my own journey of, you know, getting into coaching and my own explorations and how that's brought me to, but where I usually like to start the episode is do you ever look back at, you know, the younger Ben, you know, the Ben that was, you know, not just getting into primary school, but like, you know, seven-year-old Ben or eight-year-old Ben or 10-year-old Ben and go, Oh yeah, that guy was like, he was, he already had this bent or is this completely foreign to that Ben? Like, do you ever look back at your life and go, oh yeah, there's sort of semblances of this story playing out early on as well? Yeah. I, I, when I look back at sort of grade one Ben, you know, mm. um, I see a sensitive little kid who was starting to have lots of energy in his body mm. and know what to do with it. And also, um, felt like when I was at home, um, it home was a little more unsafe for me because I had an older brother who was really tough mm. on me and, um, he was a really emotional guy too. And we, you know, bless my parents, but you know, we weren't taught how to deal with having lots of emotions. Let's mm. just say that my, my parents weren't taught by their parents, yeah. how to have an emotion at all. And mm. it was really all sort of shut down and suppressed and, and they did their best, but we were really emotional kids. And, mm -hmm. um, my brother was, was, you know, when he wasn't happy, it, the whole block knew, you know, half the city <laughs> knew and he was unhappy a lot. And so I was sort of like hiding in his wake and wow. sort of trying to navigate him at home and sort of in a stress response in my mm. home and jacked. And no, like, yeah. Yeah. Jacked up, jacked up nervous system. No, like major, major abuse, but like terror, you know, like, mm. you know, terrorism is really the use of like fear and like yeah. be struck at any moment. There was, there was kind of that a lot with my brother and this sort of emotional abuse. And so at school, I was like kind of off the rails and, and releasing my energy there because it was a safer environment for me. Mm. So needless to say, I got in a lot of trouble in my classes and I was often mm. either like at the teacher's desk, she was like, you're working here beside me today or <laughs> like in the back in a separate room or just like yeah. straight up kicked out of class. Mm. And um, so how it looked to the world was that I was just kind of like Troublemaker. a crazy, a crazy active kid. Yeah. But my inner experience was that I was actually really sensitive and I was trying to process stuff and nobody really yeah. knew how to guide me to do that. Right. Yeah. So the next 10 years, you know, from seven to 17 was just kind of fallout. And, you know, me, you know, moving through school, trying to figure out my energy system, not really having any guidance, getting in a lot of trouble, a lot of suspensions, expulsions, um, uh, getting into drugs and alcohol, and eventually ending up in rehab when I was 16 years old. I was in rehab. Mm. This was like oh. a, 
against your will full time you're here until you're done kind of rehab yeah 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 uh, like old school tough and mm. um went through 12 steps there and i was i was like very resistant for the first six months i, I mm. just like was a problem and just didn't go anywhere and then slowly i it sort of dawned on me how lost and hopeless and hurting i was you know through mm. all the the group group work that we were doing in there and that sort of turned my life around and and i sort of got on the personal growth path at age six, 16 wow. and and from there you know still had many bumps in the road I, I i went back to high school after that after rehab and i got suspended from high school because i was acting out and mm. and uh gave the principal the finger when he suspended me and like <laughs> i was i was still <laughs> i still yeah. had my emotions to to learn how to how to wrangle them but um that kind of got me going that got got me going on the personal growth path and gave me mm. that hunger for um progress and change and those sort of emotional spaces where people are are you know digging into their wounds healing and moving forward mm. yeah wow mm. thank you so much for sharing that bro i um i found on the episodes again and again that Oftentimes, and I'm being quite conservative when I say oftentimes that I've, you know, fine. And this actually forms part of my coaching was like our biggest challenges often form our biggest gifts to the world, you know, and watching your work as counselor, coach, and, you know, you sharing your story of addiction and, you know, just all that emotional sort of like, mm, like you know, keeping it down and, and finding it squirts out in all, in all which way and, you know, yep. you, you, yeah, it's, man, thank you so much for sharing the depth of that. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not easy to, to sort of, well, to face, but then also demonstrates how much work you've put into yourself to be able to articulate it so clearly without the charges around it as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I spent a decent amount of time running from my past and, and avoiding my wounds. And even after rehab, it's not like I went to rehab and healed everything. I spent mm -hmm. the next definitely 20 years healing layers of things mm -hmm. um, through various modalities. Um, and yeah, it feels good to just be able to look back and feel comfortable with my understanding of things and feel like resolved mm -hmm. a little bit, you know? even with my family, which has been a very recent thing, but, um, yeah, it, the work, this kind of work, I mean, and not just my work, but you know, anybody pursuing a healing path, it, it's not, you don't just fly to Peru, do 10 ayahuasca ceremonies and then come home healed. It's, this, this is not how the human life works is from what mm. I've found. If, if that happens for you, then, then you're an outlier um our childhoods are such powerful um environments for programming we mm. basically spend our entire adult lives trying to weed through deprogram and reprogram the shit we learned in our childhood you know mm. and it's it's uh in a way i've just accepted this this is like what it means to be human like you don't get to redo your childhood you do get to build a new adulthood mm. but um some people say sometimes like Oh, when's it going to be over? Or like, you know, when am I going to stop dealing with this thing? And, and I often say like, maybe never, you know, <laughs> like you, this may be a thing that follows you around forever. doesn't mean you're going to be in this much agony as you are in this moment, 
but you know from a karmic level it's like this thing happened in your life you're carrying that in this body in this life and it may be with you until you leave your body you know and mm. your task is to figure out how deep of a clean you can do and how you can learn to live with with what your experience has been in your life and use it for the better you know to mm. your advantage to to other people's advantage to pay it forward and to to be of service right because for so many of us the biggest tragedies in our lives seem like they have no meaning until one day we're holding someone who's going through or has just gone through that same thing and we know how to hold that because we've held that pain. Mm. So yeah, I really feel you. Like what you've been through be can become your gift if you if you can take that journey. Mm. Yeah. When was your um was there a moment where you felt the call to arms? Um when was that moment that you were invited? into greater levels of service because obviously you're doing the work on yourself to a certain degree and you know you're working through your stuff and you know and that journey never ends right as you just yeah. described still you're still working through your stuff i know that because i'm still working through my stuff um it's called the evolving man it's called the inspired evolution <laughs> evolution is an unending thing um yeah. love that by the way and uh We're perfect yes this is yeah. perfect we're like cousins here cousin shows brothers <laughs> um, <laughs> In that I, I, but there is a moment, right? Like where you start to, or was it a moment or was it a transitional shift where you went, oh, I'm ready to help others. I'm ready to be of service. Like where did that, um, when did that drop in? How did it drop in? What did it start looking like when it first emerged? Like, can you pinpoint that sort of emergence going from this is my stuff to, oh, you know, I, I don't want to pre-program in your answer, please. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think there was layers to that too. Mm. Um, initially it happened really early on because in, in that treatment center and in the 12 steps mm. service and helping others is a part of your recovery program. Right. And that's a universal thing is like, you may have a certain issue you're dealing with a certain amount of stress that you're carrying but if somebody that you care about who you think you actually might be able to help comes along and they've got a problem all of a sudden your problems are gone and, you, mm. and you're just like okay like how can i help right we all mm -hmm. have that instinct to to help and for people who are early in recovery that's like a magic pill the service mm. thing right because like we when you're a recovering addict uh you you stew in your mind about your how uncomfortable you are and how you don't like this and how you don't like that and you you maybe you feel miserable and and um you just wish you could be normal so that you could use and you know you're sort of white knuckling it <laughs> but then somebody comes along who's like doing worse than you are you know if mm. and and maybe you didn't even think that was possible but then they are then there they are maybe you're in rehab with them or or maybe you're just fresh out of rehab and you're struggling with life and then you see somebody and if you really engage wanting to help that person it's just all of a sudden your obsession your woe is me attitude your whining internally is gone mm. and uh the founder of the 12 step program bill w found that initially you know in trying to get other people sober for six months hmm. he stayed 
clean himself. And mm -hmm. he didn't get one person sober mm. for the record. He spent six months trying to get people sober. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Still needed to get his program figured out, but he stayed sober that six months because he was so focused on the other. You know, so service is this magical thing. Right? It really that, is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just gives us energy to to yeah. to help each other and help humanity. This is why I'm doing my show. I'm sure that's why you're doing your show. Because there's a deeper thing in there and bound, like oftentimes, you know, and it's it's perfect because we're, you know, having a conversation about men's work and, you know, um, there's that seminal book, you know, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and it's such a great book. Mm -hmm. And in there, like, you know, even at this juncture in this conversation, this concept around meaning leads to the conversation around fulfilment. And... I'd love to sort of see if your thoughts match mine or even if they don't, that'd be a great point for conversation is, you know, fulfillment for me is all about service. It's like, that's, that's all it really is <laughs> really. Like there are, mm -hmm. there are things that fill up my cup. Absolutely. Um, and one of those is being of service to others. And yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on fulfillment and service? Yeah, I think if I can just inquire internally about what the feeling of fulfillment is like, like if I could give it a story, I guess it's that I feel like I'm an integral part of something that's bigger than me. And, and I've, I've done my part, you know, and, and I'm appreciated. Those that's kind of what makes me truly feel that deepest sense of fulfillment. Like, mm like I'm a valuable human yeah. and people love me and I'm, I'm doing something for the world. Yeah. So it, it really does boil down to service because like mm. you can imagine if you're not really doing anything for the world and you're building a silo or a compound and you're like making money and buying stuff <laughs> and like, you know, not even taking care of your family because that's a purpose as well. Let's say you have no family. Like what are you really doing with your life? If that's what you're doing. You're just like running a Amazon business where you sell cheap crap and you make lots of money and you just like <laughs> buy lots of stuff. Like it, when we're 20 or 21, I think it can, the illusion of that life can be alluring. Mm. Like, oh yeah. But as soon as most people start to accumulate some level of status and stuff and, and money in their lives, they realize like, oh, this is actually just kind of like sand that falls through your hand like it's not mm. really tangible and it doesn't really give me fulfillment like i was sold that it would but then when you start something you build something i remember the first time i hired an employee mm. my my buddy steve we, i was about 30 years old because we that's when i started my first company and when we hired our first employee full-time and put her on salary I was so over the moon. I was so stoked about that. I was like, we're helping somebody pay their rent. Yeah. Pay for their food. <laughs> like we're sustaining someone's life right now with yeah. this weird Airbnb business that we're running yeah. at, you know, at the time. Yeah. And that didn't have a lot of meaning to me, but what really did have the meaning was that like I was contributing to a person, mm. you know, living. So yeah, I, I, I definitely align with what you're talking about, you know, fulfillment being really tied to, to service yeah 
And it, it, just to go back to your original question, when mm -hmm. I was in treatment, they, they basically, when you go through, you start out really harsh. Like you have no rights. They don't like you have basic human rights, but like you have to ask to talk to another new person. And like someone has to walk you to the bathroom and like, you're sort of watched at all times. You're not allowed to have any brand names on your clothing. You can't have a watch. You can't really have any possessions. There's like, you're like, you're like babysat yeah. until you get to the fourth step for, for me, that was the eight month mark. And then you start taking care of the new kids and, and so you have that responsibility and you're trying to coach them and help them through treatment. Mm. And then you go through the rest of your steps while you're in that sort of mentorship position. Mm -hmm. And so I felt it there. I was like, I kind of like helping these newer guys in rehab, you know? And then I got out of treatment, went to high school, finished that. And then they said, Hey, do you want to come work at the treatment center for the summer? And I went. And so I was like a peer counselor. They hire like recent graduates at that place to to be a peer counselor. And I really liked that. And I asked them if I could stay after the the first summer and ended up working there for about four years while I upgraded my my high school, got some preliminary college courses. And then I decided I do I do have kind of an engineer's mind. And I, so I was deciding between going into engineering or counseling. Mm. And and that was a really hard decision because I knew if I, I was living in Calgary, Alberta, it's the Texas of Canada, we got oil and I yeah. knew I would make lots of money if I did petroleum engineering. Yeah. And uh, I, I just went with my gut. I was like, I think I got to do counseling. <laughs> and so I went and did a- Sorry, I was laughing for a, a whole nother reason, but yeah, please continue. <laughs> yeah, go on. It was, it was tough. Yeah. So, you know, that's how it started. And then I, I went and did that. I worked at multiple treatment centers and, and, um, and then I took a break from counseling after about 10 years. And, mm. and then there was like this sort of, uh, refurbish or Renaissance or whatever, where like my men's group lit me up and was like, buddy, you got to start coaching or counseling because mm. running your Airbnb business is not your life's purpose. We mm. see it in you and get your shit together. <laughs> they mm. just kind of like some they of those called guys. They you out like, to service. Yeah, they called you out to serve them. Yep. Yeah. So that was the 2.0. And that's when when my Evolving Man brand started and everything took off. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. Sorry, the 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 smart. Thank you so much for sharing that. This, the, the laughter was by a qualification. I did become an engineer. And uh, I still remember, <laughs> I still, like, as you were sharing, I still remember, and I feel like I'm talking to my alter ego now, <laughs> because I still remember there was this point where um, I was ranking my preferences for what to get into. Um, after university, you have that sort of, and psychology was this one that I was like, so like, I just wanted to put it on top. But there was so much, and this is a big part of Inspired Evolutions coaching, is like all the cultural pressure of my friends, my family, my girlfriend at the time, everyone was like, dude, you're amazing at physics. Like you're going to be like an engineer, you know? And so I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I just lived into that identity, that story that other people had, well, you know, I chose to let them write for me basically. Yeah. Um, and I still remember that impulse, that moment. I look back at that and I've mentioned it to my now wife and just said, hey, like I still remember that moment where I was like, how different life would have been had I just followed that. And I, I recognized that voice that was wanting to put psychology at the top 
as my intuition now, but back then I had no, none of this, none of this awareness around it. Right. Um, and I, and I didn't, so I popped the engineering and you put the counseling on top. And so I was like, I'm having this shot with my older ego. We can sort of compare notes now. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and if I could just offer some perspective on it, it's like, I, I feel like in a way, sometimes I feel like you can do a bachelor's degree in like whatever, but the way that your adult life turns out is hardly predictable based on what you do for your bachelor's degree. I know so many people with, what do you do with a psych degree? Like yeah. other than, then keep going and then become a therapist. Like mm-hmm. so many people go get a psych degree and then they, uh, my friends in Alberta, they go work mm-hmm. for an oil company <laughs> in like HR or something, you know, yeah. you're not, you're not really doing psych. And I feel like if I had done an engineering degree, in a way, it would have been nice because I would have had a backup career where I could make good money anytime I want to. Mm-hmm. But I still would have had the inklings to be doing for coaching and counseling. What you and, and I, I are doing here now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Except, except in a way, when I was thirty, I was only good at one thing, and I, I was really feeling that when I was twenty-eight years old. I was twenty-eight. Yeah. I had never worked in any other business really, other than counseling addicts, addicted people. And, and I was like, geez, I need to learn something else. And I like went and did construction for three years with my buddy because I just had that hankering. Like I I gotta, I gotta learn something else. I can't be Mm -hmm. like a one trick pony my whole life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I sitting here, I'm almost like, well, you know, my degree was useful, but it was my life experience that really gave me Mm -hmm. like what I've really got, you know? So maybe I should have done a engineering degree. (laughs) <laughs> we can talk about that <laughs> you and i can compare notes totally and we can discuss the yeah. nuances of where we've ended up but uh yeah. brothers on the same path in many ways yeah so we're discussing service and it's interesting because there's an awareness in in me i guess um I'm not saying it's my awareness, uh, but there's an awareness in me. Um, and I'd love to sort of un- unpack and explore kind of where that lands and resonates for you. So what I've come to learn is that the masculine energy is all about freedom and that the feminine energy is all about love. That's my humble awareness of it all is like, you know, feminine, love, masculine, free um and in their shadows i think you know we can sort of see the you know the 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 shadows are like very easy to identify it's like in it's you know the feminine and shadow that love can be clingy it's like you know even with children you hear it's like don't let them go out too late at night you know and the father you know being the masculine and the freedom is like let them go (laughs) you know it's kind of like that yeah um or even the age old sort of you know back when there was no internet and stuff like that you know like she'd be waiting at him for him to come home and he'd say he's going to get a pack of cigarettes and some milk and he would just never return and he just moved seven kilometers away and started up a whole nother family and it's shadow right so that's the male toxic sort of freedom right um sorry i missed the context who is this is this in your family no no no. i'm just saying like this is the this isn't like example stories yeah yeah. um and so this is what i've sort of come to understand for myself and when things are operating for love they're operating from the feminine when they're operating for freedom they're operating from the masculine now talking about men's work specifically um well men being oriented towards freedom 
the conversation around service becomes a really interesting one, doesn't it? Because when you start talking about service, service has the same etymology as the word servant, right? Mm-hmm. And servant doesn't sound a lot like freedom. Sounds has connotations of shackles to yeah. it um, on the surface level when you tune into it. Yeah. So can you unpack that for us um, in terms of men, freedom, service? Yeah, I think um, I've just pulled out my uh, my masculine archetype deck. This thing's awesome. <laughs> I love this thing. I might, yeah. I might bring something up from here. Yeah, you know, I think that, that piece around serving is... Um, the difference between serve, servant and uh, uh, you know, the way a, a father serves his family is there's like this top down versus bottom up. It's a power mm-hmm. dynamic. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what feels icky for us is the, the bottom up power dynamic where you're, you're serving a master who's controlling you. Right. Um but I think it's probably worth starting with uh, the reality that every man has masculine and feminine in him. Mm. Uh, men aren't just masculine. You know, in fact, you know, you, 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 we all know this because we've all met very feminine men, mm. men who are mostly feminine, right? But even uh, just to sort just of going... jump in there, sorry, just for a quick sec, just to, in, at the risk of derailing you, like for those yeah. tuning in, that doesn't necessarily look like what you think it looks like as well. Because generally when people think feminine man, they think of someone that is, well, I don't know, like has effeminate qualities, like, you know, someone that is somewhat attracted to the same sex or behaves a certain way. But, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, I'm a feminine man. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm a male mm-hmm. that operates mm-hmm. way more from love than it does from freedom. And to mm-hmm. me, I'm a feminine man, yeah, because I'm much more driven by love than I am for freedom. And that's all that means to me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, please I, continue. I, Touch I, that, that resonates, that resonates. Um, And so, you know, so every, yeah, every man has his own combination of masculine and feminine energies mm-hmm. from like a base level. Uh, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm more on the masculine side of things, but, uh, guys like me will often just reject their feminine altogether because we just don't even realize that, like, we just don't have that acknowledgement that like there might be feminine energy in us. Mm. Um, the homophobic side of us perhaps feels Mm -hmm. that way, uh, or just what wasn't trained in us when we were kids. Um, and so, Yeah, I mean, I see uh, mentorship and fatherhood and stewardship all as masculine qualities. Um, This sort of like taking action, putting structures in place to create a safe space for learning and teaching or growth, you know, gardening, like, you know, tilling like doing whatever you need to do to the land that's like you know um stuff that requires strength and movement and and like organization i see that all as the 
the the masculine and the the yearning for life and wanting uh the the, the impulse that creates that action is a feminine thing mm. right uh, that desire that love is a feminine thing and so in so many ways like the things we do in life are this synergy of the masculine and the feminine coming together mm. to create something in life right so um yeah that's that's kind of how i see it there's this like i have these archetype cards and uh it breaks down the the king mm. archetype into the father and the sovereign mm. the provider these are sort of like the sub archetypes of the king the mm -hmm. caregiver the mentor the land steward and then there's a whole thing other thing on the other side with the sovereign with like a strategist and um speaker judge and and then there's the shadows you know diplomat so um yeah let me know what you think about that does that resonate with you yeah entirely um i feel like both forces are absolutely necessary um for creation it's how life is created right it's how we're here in this dualistic experience that is the human experience right the male and the female um, mm -hmm. the order and the chaos the light yeah the dark yeah. yeah i used to think that like men's work was all about focusing on just the masculine aspects of things because mm. um for fear of men becoming feminized mm. right there's this like there's this criticism i saw someone criticize online the other day about men's groups being feminized and you know men sitting around crying in each other's arms and um and i i told him that like that didn't really resonate with me mm. um because of the men's groups that i'm a part of because of what i've seen and because i believe that modern men's work is about putting your masculine and your feminine energies in their right place and and um learning to integrate them mm. you know so many men i think actually don't have a good relationship to their feminine their own internal feminine side mm. and and many men don't know how to be mature conscious masculine people mm -hmm. and so we need both of those things but you you can't become the conscious adult, the conscious man, if your feminine is repressed and you don't know how to hold that and you don't how don't know how to respond to your intuition, your yearning, your desire, your love. You don't know how to express what you want and what you're feeling to yourself and then to other people. If you don't know how to do that, you're not fully integrated. And so I think men's work is about integrating the masculine and the feminine. It doesn't mean you have to spend all your time on one side or the other. Mm. You know, you might even you might even spend only 15, 20 minutes or 15, 20% of your time on the feminine side of things and it's 80% on the masculine. Mm. But um it's important to address both. How do you invite people into well let's speak to the masculine archetype? How do you invite people into embracing their feminine more? I, uh, there's a number of different ways to do it. First of all, 
exercises that get guys into their bodies, right? Mm-hmm. That, that help them, them, you know, because we, we, it seems like a masculine consciousness really like loves to live up here in the head, you know? And so feeling into your body and feeling like what your body wants to do. So not necessarily you know, bench pressing and squats. <laughs> <laughs> no, like uh, one of the ultimate things that I give to guys if they if they really want to learn how to um, contact their lover energy, which is in theory is like the the feminine inside the masculine archetypes. There's the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover. Mm. It's it's said by by Moore and Gillette that the lover is the feminine inside the masculine. Oh. And uh, so I often just point men towards the things that help them contact their lover archetype. And ecstatic dance is like pretty solid like that is a really good thing for guys to go try that really puts a lot of guys at their edge who mm-hmm. who haven't really contacted their lover like learning how to dance and learning mm-hmm. how to dance in a way that you're allowing the music to dance you mm-hmm. that takes practice that takes time spent standing in front of the speakers with your eyes closed in a space where nobody's watching you and there's no other objective other than to feel the music, mm. right? So things like that, breath work, mm-hmm. um, and and of course, just like having people share like what they want, what they're feeling, um, and having it held in a in a safe space is always that I think guys can get into their feminine. And you know, I've seen holotropic type breath work, breath wave is what I'm trained in, crack guys' hearts open. Mm-hmm. The tears really flow in breath work because it it it's interesting too because breath work is this torso centric agitation mm-hmm. in a way like you're mm-hmm. you're laying down but you're breathing like you're running mm-hmm. and you're sort of stirring up all of this energy in this place where all of your emotions live mm-hmm. right like you have so many neurons in your gut so much emotion comes from your gut and your lungs and here you are like just pumping oxygen into it and, and stirring it all up. And, and, and then you go into this sort of psychedelic dream state where your armor kind of comes down, mm. your eyes are closed, nobody's watching. And, and all of a sudden this stuff comes out that you didn't even know was in there maybe. Right. So those are some really good ways. I think that, that guys can get in touch with their feminine. And the more you do that, the more you can live your life from a uh, intuitive place from knowing mm. you know what you want in a given moment and hold space for your feminine friends, partners, family members, you know, who, you know, you can't hold space for the feminine unless you can hold space for your own feminine. Mm. Right. That's been my understanding in the last few years is like, Oh, okay. Like I need to learn how to hold this for me so I can hold it for her. Mm. That was going to be my question in terms of why would men want to connect to their feminine? Um, asking the questions a bit backwards, but I think that is <laughs> the biggest. <laughs> if there is, yeah, any reason. That would be yeah, and so my feminine partner needs to learn how to hold space for her own feminine energy, and it's that's more intuitive for her because she's mostly feminine. Mm. But for anyone who identifies as more masculine, this is this probably does take some practice for you. You do need to like go over to the other side and spend some time there, mm. you know? And for me, actually going, going to these places that, that bring that out was really useful for me. Like particularly what I'm thinking about is music festivals. 
mm. which is like the colors are like your background. It's just like mm. rainbow everywhere. There's just music that just makes you want to dance and move. Everybody's mm. dressed up. The women are wearing like feathers and just these huge costumes and everybody's moving all the time. Mm. And yeah, it just, it just brings it out of you. I, those first few festivals I went to, I came home changed and I went sober. I went totally sober to those things, but I was just like, Oh wow. Like I am more in touch with my body and with like rhythm and something started to really shift when mm. I started going to those things and really opening myself to those places. You can still go there and, and put the armor on, you know, mm -hmm. you, uh, depending on what substances you put in your body, but that, that was really transformative for me. Mm. Yeah. Love that. One of the, um, what do you think the key resistances are for men at the moment in terms of going into their feminine? Do you think, cause I, we were discussing this earlier on the podcast, even just watching the inspired evolutions, um, viewership, the audience pie continues to grow touch wood very humbled by that. And yet um, it used to be a 70% female listenership and now it's coming to a 50, 50. And I said, the only thing I can sort of say is that, you know, hopefully the men are waking up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in that space, my, my query is, yeah. Do you think there are resistances that men have to embracing their own inner feminine? And if so, what do you think drives those resistances? Yeah. I think, I think a lot of men are, um, afraid of their emotions. They're afraid of, um, going to those places. Um, I think a lot of guys, uh, live by this sort of like, if it's in the past, you don't have to ever go back there. You don't have to talk about it. Um, move on, take action, forgive and forget. Mm. Um, uh, or, you know, which means forgiving is forgetting, <laughs> mm. right? That's kind of what that means. Um, yeah, I think just guys from our generation, we weren't, our parents didn't know how to, um, how to balance their masculine feminine energies, right? I think a lot of us came from these sort of polarized households. And some of us came from households where our dads were like these nice guys because the nice mm. guys came from kind of the previous generation. Mm. There's this very kind of weird, suppressed uh, lack of leadership, uh, suppressed emotion, uh, nobody really saying what they truly want, mm. lack of communication. And it's, it's, it's really like kind of like an emotional retardation and a, and just lots of, um, mind games, you know, like this is, this is me just thinking about my parents, you know, mm. and the parents of some of my friends and, and yet a lot of us want more mm. and we, you know, I can feel that. Like when I talk to any man, I can feel, uh, any man who's like not already in my brotherhood mm. <laughs> or in a men's group with me, I can sense like he wants more than what his parents had. And mm -hmm. what he has from like what the world has given him, which might mm -hmm. be like a good job, a house and a family. Uh, he wants more than that. And, and like his, you know, parasailing or um, mountain biking pursuit. 
he wants depth. Like our generation wants more depth than what our parents' generation had. Mm-hmm. But we don't know where that is or what it is. And we're kind of scared of it. Mm-hmm. And for masculine guys, their feminine partners often show us that depth mm. and they exemplify that. And that's scary. And we mm. reject it and turn away from it, push it down. We don't hold space for it because if we open that can of worms, then we're opening our own. Can of worms, <laughs> right. Yeah. This is why I teach guys relationship stuff because, um, you know, they might come in saying like, Hey, how do I figure things out with my partner? And then we go into his childhood and mm-hmm. his father and his mother and how those relationships affected him and what he might Programmed. still be holding. His right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think our generation wants more and there mm-hmm. is this sort of rising tide of people like you and people like me speaking to that and saying to guys like, Hey guys, it's actually okay to do your inner work. It's not going to kill you. It's actually going to make you a better person. And it's going to give you that more thing that you're looking for in your life. Yeah. You got a successful business. You got a home with a family, like things are going well on the outside, but you want a level of depth and je ne sais quoi from life. You know, the personal growth space and doing your inner work is the portal to that, to finding what you're truly looking for. Mm -hmm. at a deep level and that's probably you know um you're probably seeking healing there's a part of you that's looking for for healing Mm -hmm. and deeper connections with the people in your life beyond the superficial like oh what'd you buy this week and you know what's little johnny doing oh he's in soccer like cool you know just like talking about the stuff of life like i think we're all seeking something deeper Mm -hmm. and and there's people who are speaking to it. Mm. I think that's why your show does well and why my thing keeps building momentum, mm. right? Because because you're, you, you can't get enough love, man. People can't get enough love. <laughs> you know? Infinite. Actually, yeah. That was actually one of my favorite, um, favorite takeaway from Gabo Mate's work is you cannot love a child enough. And I was like, I, I've just been contemplating that. Like, I just like this solid contemplation. Is like, because I've, I've, well, I'm a father of a 15 month old at the moment. And, um, all right. <laughs> nine week old. Ah, congratulations, Ray. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, could ask you about your sleep, but I don't even want to go there right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, pray and you get some good sleep soon, Ray. <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what that's like. Um, yeah and yeah it's it's been this real interesting just watching the little one just going i love you so much and then the touch wood it's like you cannot love it enough and it's like the masculine to me is like is that a challenge because <laughs> 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 i actually i actually don't know how to love this more and in order to keep this conversation um i guess balanced is the exact word that i'm i'm, I'm sitting on is um we've talked about men reaching into their feminine energy and the resistances there and why we would want to. And what I'm hearing again and again is, you know, there's this space for your, you know, your emotions. There's this space for your healing. There's a space for you to love deeper and more fully and be integrated. Yeah. 
also to poke and prod into the conversation about the resistances men have being men. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds kind of counterintuitive when you're looking from the outside in because it's in many instances it's like, hey, like I got the anatomy, I'm good to go, you know. Um, and yet there are certain places where it's like you mentioned the word like, you know, even land stewardship, mentorship, showing up in this in these more masculine roles um, to, yeah, do you feel that there are resistances in men stepping into greater levels of their masculine? Um, and maybe there's a social interplay here and I don't want to poke and prod at it too much, but to sort of open that sort of just gently open that space up in terms of, you know, there is a massive movement of the female, like the feminine sort of coming, well, yeah. the feminine coming through. And in that potentially some men have rejected their masculinity to, to honour the feminine the way that it's coming through, mm-hmm. which is I'm learning as I'm speaking to you right now, somewhat shallow in that it's like saying, well, I'll repress myself to allow you the space to grow, but really it's as you grow, they grow, right? Um, so yeah. those resistance pieces, bro, to men being mm-hmm. more men, can you... Do you see that or am I just talking about oh, yeah. something? <laughs> I've lived it. I have lived it, man. Yeah. I I um I don't remember who I heard say it the first time, but someone said that, you know, I was living my life as an apology for other men to women. Like just I'm an apology. I'm sorry for being a man, you know? To other women. Uh, to other women. Yeah. For, for for all the bad things that were done to women. And, and that really resonated with me because I felt that I, I have felt that in my, um, in how I interacted with women, how I approached or didn't approach women Mm -hmm. who I found attractive or, or wanted to be around. I just like have cowered in my life and partially because I think every man doesn't want to be rejected. But also from this place of like knowing at least a sliver of like what women have gone through and, you know, working at that treatment center that I worked at and, and hearing what the, the girls in that treatment center had been through as young girls, you know, like 99% of them had been abused pretty badly. Mm. Um, living my life as this sort of like, I'm sorry for being a man, uh, certainly held me back from Mm. having these sort of like mature conscious relationships with women and from being the best version of myself because I had this sort of like toxic shame for being a man. I mean, I think the more we throw around the word toxic masculinity, the more we're going to grind into men's psyches that the masculine is toxic and you should be ashamed of yourself. And there's not enough nuance in that conversation around the fact that, that like when uh, a masculine representative is hurting or acting out, abusing someone, whether it's a woman or a man, that is the dark masculine. That is the mm-hmm. shadow side of, of, of that person and all of their archetypes. Um, they're offside. That is not the light or the conscious side of that person doing that thing. Mm. And there is a conscious masculine 
I think that need, should be taking center stage rather than us trying to like destroy the toxic masculine. You, you can't destroy your shadow. This is why I, I really am frustrated by some of the conversations had because we think that we can just destroy the bad in the world, but you can't do that on a personal level. How do you think you can do it on a population level? Mm. It's not going to happen. Young has taught us that the only way to deal with your shadow is to integrate it and and look at it, see it, and then figure out how to put it in its place Steer in it. your life. Figure Steer out how it's controlling. Steer it, right? And I think the dark feminine has this way of like trying to destroy and like cl almost like clawing at the masculine, clawing at <laughs> the images of like of Kali, <laughs> of Kali, yeah, is like a, <laughs> yeah, or like thing. a cat scratching down a, a pole, just like you know, like ripping it apart. I'm gonna rip you apart, but like that energy will just tear down everything. And my feminine partner. She will express to me like when she sees some shadow aspect that that doesn't feel good to her, mm. and she'll say that from a very um, clear, conscious place. And mm. but she won't try to destroy me in the process. <laughs> mm. She'll she'll just she'll share what that's like for her, and at the same time, in the same day perhaps or the same conversation, she will lift up the side of me that she reveres and those um, can do better wants to see more yeah mm. she, and she'll call me to this call me forward to this new place right and so on a personal relationship level i have this experience of the conscious feminine and the conscious masculine doing their thing and rising up and my wish is that the in the world we can do that and that mm. we can focus not so much on like polarization and and this side's bad and this side's good and we got to destroy the bad side, like the, this, the stuff that happens in movies. Yeah. Um, but so much movies also teach us this lesson. So, so often we're taught in the movies that you can't destroy the bad and that, it, that it, you have to figure out how to work with it. And that it is a part, it, the, the line between good and evil runs right through the center of every mm. human. That's the moral dilemma that, occurs in most movies it's just like at a societal level sometimes i think we're just not getting it mm. when i start filling into what you were sharing about archetypes before as well i think the archetypes can be super useful when charting your ways towards deepening especially as a male looking towards deepening your masculine Surely they can work to deepen your feminine as well, as you were alluding before, the lover. Um, but I oftentimes, well, for me, maybe I'll just speak from my place. I, 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 I visualize this archetype of the warrior saint. Yeah, that's that's kind of the archetype that I touch would like to work with. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it, it was culturally programmed in for me in the faith of a Sikh, and that's the archetype that's gifted to us through our faith and religion. Um, and I look around and even in today's day and world, I look around at how many warrior saints do I see buttoned up in their suit and leather boots and <laughs> leather satchels <laughs> going to the office Yeah, and I just can't see them anywhere. I just, I just can't see them anywhere. And I guess 
an invitation for you to sort of share on male leadership. You've described what healthy masculine looks like and calling that men into that, but how do we how do we chart our way there when we potentially don't have the mentors in that space? Yeah, the lack of mentors is a really has been a really big problem for our generation. And I think also for our father's generation, I think the two world wars really um, disrupted what may have been left of mentorship for men. Mm. And after that came gangs and, you know, men searching for uh, structure and mentorship in the world. Um, Guys joining the military just because, you know, can I just jump they in there for a sec? Them. Because I do, I do want you to please answer this question. But there's just mm-hmm. this thing that wants to be said is becoming a parent. I've been doing this body of research on parenting, and I realised that between the ages of zero and four, or zero and six, or something like that, they say the the child belongs to the mother. Oh, uh, oh sorry, boys. This is specifically boys. Sorry, I'm speaking specifically to boys. Um, mm-hmm. The boy belongs to the mother. And between the ages of six and 14 or six to 16, the Mm. boy belongs to the father. And that's obviously he belongs to both, but it means in terms of like who he's getting his life force energy and what he's learning, you know, what his connection Mm. and where his shelter and that feeling of safety really comes from. Right. And they talk about how between the ages of like 14 onwards, like 14 to like 25, 30 ish, as they're going through this adolescent late teenage period, they need a mentor and it's not meant to be the father or the mother. And I've had this visceral realization really, that's really rubbed me up the wrong way, but I'm coming to terms with it. And, you know, integrating the work there is I didn't have a mentor and actually I allowed my peer groups to become my mentors and my yes. peer, peer groups were just as lost as, <laughs> as each other. Yep. And that's the problem. This whole, and we, and, you know, you mentioned like, you know, substances and all this crazy stuff and getting hammered and, you know, all this, like, what? And then I look at that and go, oh, my God, there is such wisdom in what I'm receiving right now in the importance of that mentorship. So, again, I'll, I'll just take that sort of piece and plug it back into your response, if you, if you don't mind, um, in terms of the importance of mentorship. And like you were saying, the world wars have robbed us of, of p- the potential for, for leaders, for men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we created this sort of factory system where, the men were away all day and the mothers raised the children. And so you end up with this like heavy feminine um, uh, influence on, on boys in schools, even, you know, mostly women teachers and, and the masculine is sort of just comes in at night, brings the hammer down. Maybe if some discipline needs to be done and then he's gone in the morning, you know, Mm. that's affected generations of men. I agree with you around this idea that, that for a boy, you know, um, he really does need his father from the time somewhere under 10 until Mm. somewhere in his teens. Mm. There's kids don't really know what sex or gender they are Mm. for the first few years. Right. Mm -hmm. But for a boy, there comes a time where he realizes I'm not like my mom. Mm. I'm like my dad, you Mm. know, and this is for, I guess, a classic household. Mm. Um, and, I'm going to be like him when mm. I'm older. I'm not going to be like her, mm. you know? And 
there's sort of that a pretty clear realization uh, that comes along at some point for a boy. And it makes sense that at that point, and from that point onwards, he kind of like needs his dad's support a little bit more as mm. he as he develops into a man. His own and, identity. Yeah. Yeah. And and um I didn't have that either. And I you know, extracurricular activities are really important in this aspect for boys. Mm. Football, sports, running club, like w- whatever it is, because they get access to coaches mm. who are usually men. And they're, they, they're structured. They show you how to train. Here's how to work hard. Here's how to take care of your body. Here's how to eat right. Like the right coach. Good coaches mm-hmm. are are good and bad coaches are bad. But um, that structure is, read The Boy Crisis from Warren Farrell. And he talks about the statistics on um, how young men turn out based on how many extracurriculars they're involved with and whether mm. whether they're doing something after school with the with a with a man who has his life together versus wandering around with their buddies looking for shit to do. And I was the latter for the most part. I didn't really same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Begrudgingly uh-huh. same. Yet uh-huh. me to this journey. So I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um but yeah we all we all need that. And um so yeah okay just to go back to your original question like yeah, how do we move forward without mentorship? Well, first of all, I think our generation has been calling for mentors for a while, and there are more and more mentors stepping up and stepping mm-hmm. into into the field. That's that's what I've seen, and it's not from my parents' generation. It's like the in between, you know, people mm-hmm. in their fifties and sixties, and that's where my men's community came from. Was a man mm-hmm. who, when I met him, was fifty seven had done lots of personal growth in his life, has thousands of books and, and had, had taught in transformational communities for a few decades already started a men's community. And he started just one group called the Samurai Brotherhood. Hmm. And they, they had a code for living and they did focus on accountability and some basic uh, mythopoetic stuff. Guys had to read Iron John and no more Mr. Nice Guy and, and educate themselves, you know, Hmm. read David Data and from that group came leaders and they started other squads and mm. that organization has continued to grow over the last seven, eight years. And there's 50 squads now, 50 groups. Mm. And he, um, PT Misselberger is, is the man's name. He's written a book called the way of the conscious warrior. And I'm a co-director of that organization now with him. Um, well, he, I'm not co-director with him. He's the founder and I'm co-director with my friend, Nick. Mm. And we continue to grow because A, connection to a great mentor, and B, we're learning how to lead each other mm. using the bodies of work that are out there, right? Like Can you, you say that again? Books Can that you just say that better. one more time? Can you just say that one more time? We are learning to mentor each other and to give each other what we've, we've always needed using the wisdom that's already available to us. Like, look at what's available to us. There's so much, you know, we just need to study practice with each other, hold each other accountable. And we can create a whole new generation of mentors with the help of the mentors that are here, you know, and it's partially what you're doing on your show. You're bringing, you're, you're looking out there, reaching and grabbing every mentor 
you can find and bring them on your show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we're doing our best and that we're not doomed, you know, like 10 years ago when I was studying with Stephen Jenkinson and looking at the, you know, how there's no mentors and mm. I was kind of like, ah, oh, we're doomed, you know? But, yeah. It's intense. This uh, conversation around eldership, isn't it? It's yeah. yeah. What did you know? Like, hey, what did you do about it? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. It, one of the principles of our brotherhood, keep moving forward. Mm. Keep moving forward in your life. Keep just, and not, not like don't trample people on your way <laughs> and, or like ignore your past or, for, you know, forget, forgive, but like keep, keep taking action. Keep what, what can you do? Mm. Do that in your life, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's what we're doing. We're, yeah, we, we're still in the wake of two giant world wars and there's a current massive war happening, you know? Mm. and there will be more but um we're moving forward and we're so blessed to have access to so much wisdom it's been written down it's been cataloged it's on the internet it's out there and mm. and we have so much access to each other and pe finding people who align and who resonate and it's it's going man you know 3 mm. years ago i was i was leaving my in person men's group in vancouver in the Samurai Brotherhood at the time, we're now Arca Brotherhood, the Arca Brotherhood. Mm. Uh, but I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to Mexico for three months, and I'm going to miss my guys. And Zoom was like catching on. This was pre pandemic, you know. Mm. Uh, but I was like, you know, it might work on Zoom. This men's work thing might work on Zoom. Mm -hmm. So I just put it out there. I was like, hey, I'm starting a men's group for for these guys. We need ten guys, and and we brought them together. Put some of my coaching clients in there. And we started meeting every week and it worked. And then we started another one and then we started another one. And now we have 15 online mm -hmm. groups because it does work. You know, we're just, yeah, yeah, we're just looking at a screen, but like, I actually feel like you're in the room right now talking to me and I feel like we're connecting, mm -hmm. you know? So it Power would love for it to be, mm. yeah, would love for it to be in, in real life, but this is pretty fucking good. Mm. And so men are finding each other through the internet and, and doing this work together and leveling up mm. so yeah i think there's hope and um i think if i'm at my best 20 years from now i i may be pronounced an elder by my community fingers mm. crossed you know i would love to sit in that seat and until then i study up and keep practicing mm. and i think there's hope for us man i do mm. what about wow. you I was going to say that it's such a poetic place to end the podcast. And yeah, I've still got two really big questions to ask you. Uh, so we can get back around to what about me, but I think I would love to get these questions out if that's okay with you, Ben. Yeah. Um, the first one is, and if you could just ride the razor's edge that I'm trying to put you on in this conversation is how comfortable is this talking about all of this for you? Because we've, traverse some ground and topics that um, yeah, require okay, maybe I'll wrap both questions into one. Um, there are going to be people that listen into this podcast and the way you've sort of had the conversation about men, feminine, and you know, there's so much interpretation that's open to other people, 
yet yeah. for me, I feel you, I'm speaking to you and I can, I can connect to the intentions behind what you're saying in the essence of it. And like you've described a couple of times in the episode yourself, it's like, it's in the subtleties. Yeah. Like the the linguistic sort of falls behind against these massive energies of masculine and feminine. And you're trying yeah. to do the dance in the linguistics and the languaging around trying to evoke and communicate a piece that is so profound that language probably doesn't do its service mm-hmm. with that. Like, how comfortable is this for you to talk to and dance that dance linguistically and be the sharer and the carer around this space? It's always a little bit uncomfortable, but mm. I'm more comfortable than, than I've ever been in this seat. Um, uncomfortable because a, I feel like I grew up with a story that like, my voice like who am i to use my voice who am i to stand on a stage um i'll just be sort of like i don't deserve it or i'll you know um i had this sort of like squashed felt like i was being squashed my whole life and like Mm. i didn't deserve to be big Mm. you know and and so i'm always fighting that and so the in a way the podcast is like an antidote to that you know it's like the practice of being big Mm. and then there's like the the Twitter sphere and all of the criticism that that people bring to uh, perhaps like maybe even the word bro science is a is a good one or mm. spiritualism or conspirituality mm. you know like mm. I resonate with some bro science no but it, you know that's the uncomfortable part like it's it's really the risk of being criticized and um, told that that what I'm saying is mumbo jumbo. And yeah, we're not really talking about like science and facts here on, on this episode, you know, Mm. um, or history. And Mm. I didn't, I didn't reference any great works, uh, (laughs) in this conversation. And so I am just sharing my interpretation and my understanding of personal growth, humanity, men's evolution, women's evolution, and how I see it. And I've had to accept along the way that there may be many people who think that I'm wrong or maybe Mm. even that like I'm doing the world some harm by sharing my opinions. Mm. Um, And I was definitely faced, I have faced that head on over the last couple of years during the pandemic because there was lots of things that I didn't agree with and that I didn't see the same as like the masses or Mm. as the government said they were. Um, And so... I'm more and more comfortable just speaking my truth and letting people like it or not like it, you know? And Mm. because the internet has this great way of sort of filtering things out for you anyways, you know, let the algorithms do their thing. You know, Mm. the people who love me and resonate with me will end up on my doorstep. And that's, that's what I want anyways, you know, as a coach, uh, you, I was talking with my buddy, Stephen Shea about this the other day, because he's a coach. You really want, someone to come to you who's like Mm. convinced that you're going to help them. That's the placebo effect, Mm. right? And there is a placebo effect with every therapeutic interaction, every therapist, every counselor who has someone walk through their doors. If they don't think that the therapist or counselor is going to help them, they're that person's fighting a pill. They're fighting a nocebo Mm. and it's a very strong effect. Mm. You know, when you believe that something's going to work for you. And so for me, I feel like this media format actually helps direct more aligned people 
to me so that when they end up emailing me saying like, Hey, like I want to join this or that, or I need your coaching. Like, I know you're my guy, you know, hmm. I'm like, Oh, first of all, this is going to be an easy <laughs> relationship. I'm not going to have to work harder than you do hmm. for, to help you, you know, which is sometimes the case. And it's just going to feel natural and flowy and, and you probably will change because like mm. I have some tools, I'll share them with you and you'll be like super stoked about it. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of relationship you want with a client. Uh, it, so much change is determined by the relationship between the, the counselor, the coach or the therapist and the client. So yeah, all that to say, I've, I've learned from the people that I look up to and what I might call my elders, even some of them who I haven't met, my mentors, that you just got to do you in the world and you got to do it unapologetically. And that's how I found them, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so um, pay it forward, carry that torch, be yourself mm. and and let the algorithms do their thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bro. Thank you so much for, for answering that question. And then, yeah, that was, you know, it's going to be about the subtleties of language that's required to navigate it and also how uncomfortable you feel. So you answered both in that one. Thank you so much for speaking to that, bro, because I think um, oftentimes it can be really hard to have these conversations and I just want to honor and acknowledge you for going there and, you know, being willing to be on the cold face of this type of work um, because in the shadows you find that people are pretty quick and ready to pick up their pickaxes and launch them at each other, um, yeah. you know, just because it's, again, their fears about what the other person is really saying. And oftentimes even I'm, and I really hope this doesn't happen, but I'm sure that people will take snippets of this episode and share it around and, you know, you know, things will get uncontextualized. And then, you know, you said this thing, you know, and it's like, well, actually that's not even close out of context. It sounds like that, but in context, it's yep. completely different, you know? So riding that edge, riding that energy and still showing up every day to do your work as a brother, man, for mm -hmm. this men's work. I just really want to honor and acknowledge you for, yeah, what it takes to what it takes to do that in your own convictions and your truth and in your heart and all of that. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate that acknowledgement. And I acknowledge you for the same thing. You know, like I've really been trying to feel into and study the king archetype yeah. over the last few years because I really mm. want to trying to step into the king. You know, mm. I spent a lot of time in warrior and I <laughs> I've got lover sort of started yeah. to feel into lover. And so it's it's king time and and just knowing like what the king archetype has to reckon with, has to deal mm. with in his life and in his kingdom. It's like, there's always going to be people who are pissed off at you. There's yeah. always going to be people. <laughs> Descent among the masses. The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully not the masses, but like yeah. no, a, a whole I'm... section of people. <laughs> I was right. Yeah, but yeah, I get but it. yeah, you can you can picture like you know you make it, it any decision you make mm. is probably going to piss somebody off and it's not mm. going to resonate and they're going to you know think you did the wrong thing and they're going to try to tell you that and that's what it is to be a person with great influence in the world is mm -hmm. like you're always going to have multiple camps mm -hmm. and how do you please everyone? Well, you don't. That's mm. the thing you have to accept that you don't. 
and feedback is good, mm. but like walking your line, walking your truth and mm. accepting that maybe if you were to look back at one of your earlier episodes, you're just going to cover your face and be like, oh, I'm going to evolved since then, right? <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. I've gone back and look at episode three or four or something, uh, but I'm I'm sure I would be embarrassed. But like, here we are, man. <laughs> you, you, either, you either don't show up at all because you're afraid of that or mm. you just plow forward, keep moving forward. Mm. And the people that have the courage to do that, I've seen them do really well in the world and in life and feel really satisfied with, with what they're doing and who they are. So that's who I'm trying to be. And I see that that's who you're trying to be too. So mm. thank appreciate you so that. much. Bro. Yeah. I will put a link to your podcast in the show notes below. And also guys, the website evolvingman.com. You can find out about all things Ben Gorski brother. I know you had some questions for me. I'm sure we can have them answered <laughs> at some point, but I'm conscious of the time of this episode and yeah. it would be my absolute honor to answer them whenever you see fit. But for now, this is about you and just want you to soak in the gratitude, man. Thank you so much for sharing yourself so abundantly, so openly, your own story, um, yeah, your insights, your wisdom and you know your own journey towards your own eldership um, and having the courage and willingness to go there and, I could just thank you for today's episode, but it's a lifetime's of work that you've put in to the work and the conversation we're having today. So just acknowledging you for that. So thank you so much for sharing yourself here today with us. Thank you, brother. I feel that. And thanks for staying up late with me and recording your umpteenth <laughs> episode of the day. And you're, you're a badass. You know, <laughs> you know, Touch just the warrior saint doing his thing, right? <laughs> Attachment. Yeah. <laughs> and to the Inspired Evolution audience and tribe, beloved loved ones, thank you so much for tuning in. The Inspired Evolution, oh man, you guys continue to humble me. You listening into a whole nother episode here today again. I appreciate you guys so much. Your inspiration to evolve and continue to stay inspired to evolve. Just, yeah. I just honor acknowledge you guys so much. Thank you so much for your love and tuning in. As always, wishing you all the best on your journey forward. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.